This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. I have two boys of my own, three kids in total. My baby girl is the third child and a completely different story entirely. But I want to touch on raising boys, bringing up boys today, because my sons, Gabe and Jack, are two unique individuals. No two people are the same, regardless of gender, regardless of age. But I do know that I did my best while they were children, while they were pre-adult, did the Boy Scout instructing of outdoor skills, did swimming and shooting and all the things that I could do. I know I had a mixed bag of successes. All parents, I think, well, all conscientious parents judge themselves a little harshly based on the mistakes they've made. Of course, I was gone for most of their childhoods, off to every war during those years. And so my own raising of these boys is a mixed bag, like every other father and mother in the world. But today, we're dealing with some situations, I want to go straight to the heart of it, just uh, within less than a month of this recording, we've had two 18-year-old children acquire and use AR-15s, not a gun show, don't get your panties in a bunch, we're not talking 2A or any of the gun rights and gun rules situation today, we've had two 18-year-old children basically, uh, acquire AR-15s and kill a total of 31 innocent victims in just two events. This is not about the hundreds of other people that have been killed in other ways with guns around the country in the past month and year. But we're talking about, I'm talking about boys. And my boys were both 18 at one point. I say 18-year-old children because in the eyes of the law, they're adults. But in the eyes of my memory, I wasn't much of an adult at 18. And I do know that we're going to be touching on certain issues of developmental age and maturity today. We're talking also, of course, like I said, about boys and boys mature more slowly than girls as the, if you will, pop psychology goes. That's the little I know about it from uh, the little I've experienced in my lifetime about the difference in youth and gender. But thankfully, we have uh, an expert on the subject on the show today, a dear friend of mine who has been teaching for over 20 years in high schools and seen every iteration for an entire generation of young people coming up through the childhood and the teen years where she managed them by a real wonderful twist of fate. Jamie and I met 10 years ago plus, and she acquired before publication a copy of the manuscript of Powerful Peace and Navy SEALs Lessons on Peace from a Lifetime of War, which of course, is, like I said, uh, recently is coming up in July to be our 10-year anniversary. We're going to be doing a big celebration, including a, a leading peace workshop for yourself, for your family and community, how to take the bull by the horns and establishing security and stability for your own. And not rainbows and unicorn stuff, serious stuff. It takes courage to stand in the face of hate or conflict. And we're also be dusting off something that Jamie built from that manuscript, her curriculum for which she's led in various forms over the past 10 years to teach her own high school students about doing peacemaking and personal character development from powerful peace, which I love to brag about the results for. And we'll talk about that today. So Jamie McMillan, welcome to the show. Well, hi, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's good to be together with you again, collaborating on something 
I look forward to the things that you all are going to come up with and taking that curriculum and, and using it with young adults because I see in such a need, not just today. I mean, for the past 10 years, we've had this conversation. There is a need for young adults to understand that they have a place in this world, that there are there is something they can do themselves to make a difference. You and I started talking about this just a few days ago, actually, because you commented on one of my posts about the shooters. I forget the exact context, but you mentioned specifically in your comment about the importance of boys becoming men. And that started another conversation between us about that. I'm really excited to start unpacking that today. Well, and again, you and I've had this conversation before about young men. We have one of the few cultures that doesn't have a rite of passage for adolescent boys into that transition into adulthood. And there are some informal rites of passage that I see sometimes with young men. But boys need something because they seek validation. One of the things when you look at the at the things that school shooters have in common, there are four common characteristics. But one of the things besides the four that you see with all the school shooters is that they are young men who seek validation. And people seek validation when they don't have that self-respect or they don't have that self-esteem. And we need to figure out ways to help boys garner those things before it turns into they they look for violent ways to seek that validation or to seek that power. It isn't something that is inherent. To, it's not part of DNA, for example. A baby knows how to suckle. That's, that's how they don't die, right? A baby is born and a baby starts drinking milk. We don't know. Uh, we're, nobody gave us a course on how to drink milk from a mommy, right? But that's part of the DNA, part of the baked in, in, in uh, instinct. And the same thing is true, especially when you look at young mammals or non-humans that, that will crawl from being born up to where they can access that food source. Now, how do they know that? They don't, we don't, we don't teach them. They just do it. But self-esteem and self-worth are not taught. So, in fact, you have an infinite number of potential variables. Uh, we hear about failure to thrive and the worst cases of children being neglected as infants, uh, and they die. They can have all the food and all the shelter and all the warm and all the, all, the, all the protection they need, but they will sometimes literally die from not being loved on. That's, uh, that's serious, as I said, the most extreme example. I'm looking forward to really diving into some of the nuance between infancy and the failure to thrive from ne neglect up through how do we get to having 18-year-old boys consistently who understand that they are worthy, they, that they deserve a place in society, that they have uh, value that doesn't have to be earned elsewhere. Affiliation is, of course, a huge thing. I talked about that in Powerful Peace, too. Boys will always seek some kind of affiliation whether it's the Boy Scouts, like I mentioned, or the Crips and the Bloods. How do I become part of something? What's available to me? And the key to all that, like you've said, and you will, I'm sure you'll say it again today, it takes a community, it takes a village. Uh, having the opportunity for affiliation, not Lord of the Flies affiliation, but uh, wise, adult-led, adult, -led, adult um, I would say, framed, if you will, the architecture is created so that they have this opportunity for the structure within which they can test their limits, make their mistakes, and grow, and learn self-worth, and learn that, hey, I'm a, I'm a part of this. I, I don't, we don't, we don't crap where we sleep as dogs or people, and we also don't 
uh, cut off heads or shoot people in the face where we have a sense of being part of something that where our, our contribution is valued. Well, I noticed in some of the research about school shootings or young adults who are put into this into these or put themselves into these situations, there have been several school shootings that young adults have planned but never followed through with because an adult intervened and talked them or in some way that attention that the adult gave them, it caused the potential shooter to change his mind. And I think that tells us something right there because what you see, it's always a loner. There's this lack of community and human beings have an innate desire to connect with others. That is, that is something within us. And so when you have these young boys who are loners and they can't figure out a way to assimilate into culture or society or community, um, school becomes their their one place for that. But when they can't find it at school, even um, bad things start to churn in that young mind of theirs as they are. They have all this testosterone that they're learning to deal with and they're trying to learn how to regulate emotions and when they can't figure out how to do those things and they are seeking this power and this validation, um, it, it becomes a powder keg for bad things to happen. And so I feel like to ever make a dent in preventing these things from happening, we are going to have to learn to deal with these mental health issues of young adults and again, give young men ways to seek validation in, in a positive form, not, not in these violent negative ways. Um, and again, when you look at these common characteristics of these shooters, they are all young adults who have suffered either childhood trauma or violence. Um, and, and then they become angry over something that happens. And so you kind of see this correlation of uh, it is a lack of a way to regulate emotions. And when they are loners and they don't have a friend group or a community group, um, they don't have anybody to talk to about how to do that. And so they just all of these negative, dark feelings just keep breeding until they get these terrible ideas. And then many of them act out on those ideas. There's a sense of repressed retaliation, like I'll show you, I'll get you. Um, and when a person who is a, a, a mass killer, mass shooter, expresses that rage, that violence against others who are so often the most helpless, com completely defenseless, whether it's the Buffalo racist attacks by an 18-year-old boy or the Texas school shooting by an 18-year-old boy, um, the people who are being harmed directly have nothing to do with all the harm that boy perceives having stacked up inside himself until it is that powder keg that gets sparked and explodes by his choice. Um, bullying, of course, um, <clears throat> it's almost a cliche to talk about bullying and school shooting. Uh, we go all the way back to Klebold and Columbine. Uh, and talk about boys who were bullied and or kids who were bullied and, and the, the some of the ripple effects of that. And speaking of bullies, Eric Bond, Coach Eric Bond, welcome to the show, my co-host. Hey, Rob, Jamie, nice to be here with you guys. Eric, you are uh, the guy within Impact who's leading up our, our masculinity uh, 
line of operation, the stuff that's focused on men's issues. And so there's a real, real uh, symmetry today to the conversation. You know, Jamie, you're talking about the males before the the age of uh, consent, and you're and uh, Eric, you're talking about fathers and entrepreneurial dads and men after the age. It's it's a real, a real beautiful uh, again symmetry to this conversation because I'm. Uh, we need to talk about males. We're talking about males who are uh, growing up to be 18 and doing these school shootings especially, but but it's all related. It's all one conversation as I see it. And you're not a bully, Eric. It <laughs> was a great segue. Uh, it was a trem- tremendous segue. Um, no, I, it's interesting, Jamie, you mentioned people searching, you know, men, boys, searching for a community. And that is like so dead on and like i just i go back to you know when i was playing college soccer and that came to an end i didn't know and this is and and this is a very um i guess unimportant lack of community in in comparison to what we're talking about here but when i had you know, when I took that jersey off for the last time, when I wasn't an athlete anymore, I lost an identity. Like, the, my identity was gone. I didn't know. You know, it took me a while to really figure out who I was. Nobody cared that you, you know, you're, you're into the professional world and no one cares that you are an athlete. No one cares about any of that stuff. And it's the same thing, you know, when you go down in, in, in into younger years and, you know, and it's interesting that, you know, you're a teacher. My wife's a teacher. She's a middle school teacher. Um, and you see it in, you know, in, in the boys there, they're searching for belonging. They're searching for community. And, and when you can't find that or that gets taken away from you, and I think even when it gets taken away from you is as damaging or more damaging than, you know, I think because like when you're a part of something and then that's gone, I think that's tougher than when you're not a part of anything personally. And it's just, it's just a really interesting powder keg right now of, of I don't know what the answers are, um, but you have to wrap your arms around people and love people and invite them in. If you see somebody on the outside, invite them in to be a part of something, to make them feel worthy or make them feel like they're, I don't know the word is I'm looking for here, but just the, the sense of belonging, you know, it's just, and, and it's, there's so many people out there that go then to social media to find that easily. And then you get what happens far too often in this country with, um, you know, with these, with these events. And the one, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in Western New York here and I live 30 minutes North of Buffalo. And, um, you know, just it, that event has really impacted our community a lot. And it's, I think what hurts is that somebody from the outside, you know, somebody came from outside the community to do this in our community. Um, you know, and it's, it's tough. So Jamie, what do you think is, uh, as Eric was talking about, we need to put our arms around people. And, and of course in high school, uh, and pre high school or high, uh, junior high, uh, that's, that's the exact opposite of what almost all the males are thinking about doing. You know, we'll punch each other in the arm. We'll trip each other in the hall. A lot of it is based, as we've talked about and uh, you and I talked about, you know, there's a, there's a form of loving, respectful abuse. 
in the masculine culture. It's part of our makeup. I'm not going to judge that as a negative thing. I love to rag on my buddies. I love to prank dudes. I love to, you know, it's we even laugh when we get injured sometimes. Like, ha ha, you dumbass, you hurt your foot or whatever. Um, and that's part of being male. Uh, there is, there are, as you and I have talked about again, There's there are distinct differences in general, generalization between the males and the females. There are distinct differences in how we interact among our own, among our own set. Um, but I know there have been in anti-bullying campaigns since Columbine and probably before there have been a, attempts to teach compassion and teach awareness to young people, kids and, uh, and young adults, uh, in the teenage years. What is your opinion? How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you, uh, condone or teach this idea of, of, Hey, if you see a kid sitting alone, be there. And it's interesting you say that because I have seen some instances of of students, often even young boys in class, who try very hard to do that, to include others or to help others. Now, with that said, though, and going back to the conversation you and I had the other night with some of these some of these kids who were loners, sometimes they have behaviors where they act out or they alienate others in a way that it makes it hard for that good, sweet kid who, who does want to try to be kind and include someone. Um, it makes it very hard for them to, to come forward and do that because you have this kid who's, who's being mean. And, and part of that's probably a defense mechanism. Um, and, and part of that is that kid might actually really just be the bully himself. And we see that often, too, of sometimes these these shooters, they, they want to say they were the ones who were bullied. But if you dig into it a little bit, they might have been the ones bullying others. And, and whatever happened to them might have just been somebody actually pushing back. Um, and, and I have a very unpopular opinion here. And, and I will stop now if you want me to. Oh, we welcome that. We 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 crave unpopular opinions on here. Okay, well, I have a very unpopular opinion here, and it kind of goes along with the line of work that you did. We have people, not just young boys, girls too, but we have human beings who have these qualities, and I'm going to use the term sheepdog. You know, all of us on here know what a sheepdog is, and the sheepdogs are, are certainly the ones that we want we want to foster and, and raise and um I guess help them find their way in the world because they're they're going to be the protectors. You know, they're going to end up being the firefighters and the police officers and the the soldiers, um, or just anyone in a position where they are protecting or helping others. At the same time, those people have qualities that, if not fostered well, um, those qualities can get a little bit out of hand if you all follow kind of where I'm going here. The problem, and then in trying to stifle all of this bullying, is we are telling all of these young kids, and I'll just use the, I'll go back to boys. I'll use boys as an example here. And it's the superhero syndrome. You see so many little boys, they want to be the superhero. They want to be the one to go and save and rescue but saving and rescuing, there's a very fine line there between um, 
violence and preventing violence or or pushing away violence or neutralizing violence. That takes certain characteristics. Well, if we stifle that in those little boys and even little girls when they're young, if we stifle that and we tell them, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's bad. You can't act that way. What happens is that you have all the bullies on the playground and the sheepdogs are afraid to say anything because they're afraid they're going to be bad or get in trouble if they tell the bully, hey, you can't do that. You better stop. Or if they just stop the bully themselves. And again, I know this is a very unpopular opinion here, and I am not condoning violence. Please don't mistake what I'm saying here. But I'm saying if we tell, if we keep these little sheepdog kids, the superhero boys and girls from preventing violence with the bully, the bully gets really brave and he grows up and he gets really mean because nobody has ever stood with him toe to toe and said, you can't do that or I'm not going to let you do that because that's not right. And I feel like that's another problem that we have too because we got to have those superheroes. We got to have the sheepdogs. There have to be protectors of society. And when there's not, the, the bad and the evil starts... The violence starts outweighing the good, and we have to fix that too. And again, these are all very fine lines of things in how to foster the right thing and stifle um, stifle the, the negative things that we see too. Well, you know, as a SEAL, we're in that camp of those who are considered protectors, and um, and I'm a huge fan of selective violence. Uh, I have a quote and powerful piece. I don't reject violence. I embrace it. I keep violence as close as my hands and my heart so that I'm ready to use it. And I find that the readier I am, the less I have to. What you're talking about is enabling bad behavior, violent, abusive behavior by not having a, a proportionate measure of force to, to stand in front of it. Enabling is never good. We don't want to enable alcoholics like me or abusers. Uh, we want to it is important to be able to have that stand in their face kind of a thing, which, you know, it's old school. Uh, dad will say, hey, the bully's picking on you. Get up in his face. And if you have to hit him, um, that is I think it's unpopular because Dr. Spock teaching would say, you know, love them until they stop being mean. <laughs> and you can't do that with every person, every abuser. Uh, some require force, uh, which I've used in all kinds of social concepts. Uh, situations uh, at a cheerleading competition this is a, a semi-ridiculous but very relevant analogy two dads at this cheerleading competition were getting in each other's faces there was a big fight and my daughter and one of my sons were cheerleaders and uh, and athletes and tumblers and so i was like many of the other dads uh, at wit's end because in a cheerleading competition in virginia or around the east coast there are ten thousand screaming girls and each one of them has a mom and the moms are screaming too living vicariously through their girls because this is what i want to do if i go if i get younger so there's twenty thousand females screaming at the top of their lungs and all these males walking around carrying coolers and backpacks and things like our job is but we're barely keeping it together because of all the screaming and we're, we're it's not our jam so guys get short tempered sometimes. I just go into a, into a mute state myself, like a semi comatose state, and stumble around with my cooler and my backpacks that I got to carry with all the things in them. But but these two guys were 
like fighting, like fighting, like looking at each other, like, you know, and uh, one one was particularly um, aggressive and uh, hostile to the other. The, the, the other dude was responding, like, what are you going to do? What are you? And, I, and, I, and I realized we're about to have a fist fight between two idiot dads in front of those 10,000 girls and siblings. This is not what what any of the people need, including those two dads. They're going to regret what they do. So I got up in front of them and I got in between them and I shouted in their faces, is this what you want to model for your kids? I had to, had to call a relevant point to the to the table had to had to cut it was is it was a virtual slap on the face a verbal slap on the face like for a hysteric person uh and they suddenly kind of came to their senses and realized and what what they were doing and there were all these kids looking and watching this this uh potential fist fight and violence and blood uh and they came to their senses and and and, and walked away well yeah we'll screw you too and walked away and that was uh that was an application of violence which I used selectively. I wasn't confident about it. I was prepared to fight if I had to, because one of them might have taken a swing at me. But um, it was it was what was required in that situation. So we have to be able to foster that sense of competence, competence for force. I'll call it. Um, and I wanted to go back to what you and I are talking about too. You, you mentioned the bullies, and the bullies are sometimes the ones who are excusing themselves and. Uh, the, the the eventual violent actor is uh, is the bully in some cases. You told me, uh, I believe, that every single one of those people is acting out of trauma, earlier trauma. The um, in the research that has been done, and I will say this is research by the National Institute of Justice. They um, they went through and kind of looked at all the characteristics of every school shooter. They came up with four common characteristics that they all had. The number one thing is that they had either suffered an early childhood trauma or they had exposure to violence at a young age. This is every single one of them had this, this characteristic, um, a common denominator. Couldn't we argue that exposure to violence is a form of trauma in itself, too? It's like inclusive of a form of trauma for small, helpless people to watch, to watch people being violent to each other is traumatizing. Absolutely. And then if no one ever teaches you any better, you grow up thinking, hey, that's just how people are supposed to act. And then you have all of these other let's just say behavior issues possibly too that, that might come out of that. And all of a sudden you have all of these darker qualities, all of these darker traits that just are exponentially um, growing. And again, nobody ever, there's no sense of community of people talking to these kids. Hey, we, we need to talk about this. We need to help you find a better outlet for these behaviors or the way you're acting or even, you know, going back to what Eric talked about a while ago with it when he played soccer and then, you know, taking that uniform off and then what do I do now? You know, losing a little bit of a sense of community there. These kids just need to have something positive that they can be part of or even if it's just one adult or a couple of adults or, or young adults that they can be friends with. But most of these kids who who become school shooters, you know, again, I go back to it's the loner mentality. They don't have a sense of community. They have broken home lives uh, and they don't have friends. And that is a recipe for disaster. 
Jamie, I have a question. Um, and, and this is, I don't mean to make this sound like it's an excuse because it's not. Um, but in your, in your teaching career, you know, spans 20 years. Um, and I don't know the demo, I don't, I don't know the demographics of the area that you teach in or anything along those lines, but I wonder how many of these kids that are just being, well, I mean, they're really crying for help by, by acting out and how they are. How many of them have parents that both work that, um, don't give them the attention that they need? You know, I, I look at, you know, and, I, and I'm guilty, Stephanie and I, my wife and I are, are guilty of this too. I mean, we, you know, there's times where we're, you know, in the living room or we're both on our phones and our, you know, our two boys are right there. I granted they're four in 10 months, but there's some level of, you know, and we always catch ourselves and say, okay, well, you know what, attention on them. I wonder how much of that's had an effect because it seems like these events are starting to amplify. There's more and more and more. And I just wonder what type of effect distracted parents or parents in dual income households, what effect that is having. Because if you go back, like I grew up, you know, when I grew up, I'm in my early forties, you know, when I, when I grew up, you know, my dad made enough money when my mom stayed home. My mom didn't go back to work until after I was done with high school. Um, you know, my sister's a little bit older than I was. She went off, she was off in the air force. Um, my mom was always around and was always present. My dad traveled, but my dad was also around too at a certain stage in my life and coached my sports teams and all of that. But I just have, I have to think that distracted parenting or distracted or overworked parents are playing a massive role in this. Well, and again, I would agree with you there because even if a kid has two parents at home, if they're constantly gone working or constantly distracted, that child is losing that sense of a, I won't say community bond here, get familial bond. Um, they are, they're not getting that love that all kids need. And so then there becomes this lack in, in the kid of well, why am I not good enough? Uh, why, why won't my parents pay attention to me? And that breeds other bad behaviors that develops uh, or can cause uh, mental health disorders or, or problems there. Um, I think most of the school shooters that, that have, I won't say all school shooters have come from broken homes because I almost want to think that one of the Columbine kids did not have a broken home. I could be wrong on that one. So don't hold me to that. But I think the majority of, of the kids who finally do act out in violence uh, do have that broken home or, or even some of them I think might have been in foster care, other things. But absolutely, as far as um, distracted parenting, I feel like it, it can cause some issues for sure. Yeah, and I, I just, I wonder about, you know, I, I wonder about, I look at, and I'm not going to mention his name, um, so I don't believe he deserves any attention or recognition or anything like that, but the 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 kid that, that committed the the racist, racist motivated, racial, racially motivated shooting here in Buffalo, you know, you look at his parents' house, beautiful home, you know, suburban home. Um, everybody raves about, you know, his mom was involved in, in PTA and they both, both parents work. They, they have jobs with the, you know, the state of New York and, 
you know, they talk about, I've heard, oh, his brothers are just wonderful kids. And I, you just wonder, like, I start to think, it's like, well, I, how does that happen? <laughs> you know, like, how does that, how does that happen? I mean, you have, you have, you have two parents that are making, by the looks of it, I'm guessing upper middle class incomes. I wouldn't say they're wealth. They don't appear to be wealthy, but definitely upper middle class involved parent involved parent and everybody raves about how great a kids is, you know, his brothers are. It's just, I just wonder how that, how that all comes to be. I, I would dare to, to go out on a limb there and say that one of several other factors had to be going on with that kid because normal kids, normal young adults do not do things like that. So one, either that young adult had some type of behavioral or mental health issue that had not been addressed um, and, and had developed other, um, other negative qualities, or there was some sort of violence or trauma going on behind the scenes with that kid. Uh, and I'm not necessarily pointing a finger at the parent there, you know, a violence or a trauma could happen with any other um, adult or family member or neighbor. I mean, terrible things can, can happen to young kids sometimes. And I'm, and again, I'm just going out on a limb here and I'm guessing that something like that was going on in that young man's head. Um, Again, normal, healthy people just don't don't do things like that. So I feel like one of those factors, at least one, had to be at play there. Some of the most obvious mistreatment of people is some of the most well hidden. We, I mean, there was a one of the worst examples I can think of is a uh, an Austrian, I think, Austrian father who was a pillar of the community. Uh, we hear about that in church elders too, deacons and elders who are raping, you know, young children. Um, because again, they're glossed over. They have this great uh, trifold uh, uh, marketing campaign for their life. They look great on paper and and, and they're doing these horrible things um, in, behind closed doors. And, and it's very, very hard to get that out in the light of day because it's being protected by the people that are trying to, they're guilty of it. This Austrian father actually enslaved his own daughter uh, in in a like a basement dungeon for many years. She grew up there and was raped by him and had babies by him. Uh, and he was the the townsfolk were blown away when it all was shown out in the light of day. I think she escaped eighteen years later. But um, trauma can be well hidden because. There's a shame. I mean, we look at like sexual trauma. Uh, uh, we have in, in the military uh, sexual assault uh, world, which is now finally, finally being acknowledged after many years of not. Uh, women have, uh, when, when they're the victim, the target of uh, sexual violence, they've had to uh, manage it themselves in their own way, the same way women throughout society have done. But in the military community, there's a lot of, not a lot. There has been a substantial amount of male-on-male rape. It turns out and guys will hide that guys will hide their, their, uh, their, their violation because of deep shame. And, um, and so 
It is very true. I mean, I, I talk about my own trauma. I talk about my own PTS therapy and the path I've been on for a year or two now of coming out of uh, uh, through military in the VA and PTSD. I've learned that there's childhood trauma that's behind almost all uh, combat PTSD because people go into the combat arms because of the, the uh, programming to seek out chaos, to seek out uh, traumatic environments. And, and um, so it's very common the two things go together. What have you seen, Jamie, in your in your experience so far? I mean, thankfully, you haven't had any actual shoot, school shooters in your situation, in your immediate situation. But over twenty years of teaching, you must have experienced some uh, some tough cases where you see a boy goes, a boy or a girl, but we're talking about boys today, going down a very dark path and and being a, a real concern to you. Maybe even a current concern of using major violence like that. Well, I will say this. There is not a single teacher in America right now, or there is certainly not one I know within my community. It is a nagging fear in the back of all of our minds. And I live in a small community. Most people know each other, and there there is, I feel like, a stronger sense of, of community or with people here, but... Yeah, there's still that nagging thought in the back of our minds. It it could happen here. It happens in small communities all the time with some of these shooters. And you could ask any teacher, especially a middle school or a high school teacher, there's always going to be that one kid every year that kind of gives us a little pause and makes us wonder because um, there's always that loner or, or a kid who just seems to have some very odd behavior issues. And, and those are kind of the ones you want to watch a little bit. Those are also the ones that you want to try to, to be kind to you or to show a little extra attention or a little extra love because you don't ever know what's causing that with a young adult. You don't ever know what's going on behind the scenes or, or why they are so, why they are so withdrawn um, most all schools have had instances where, whether it's just lashing out for attention, maybe somebody makes a, a list with some violent threats on there. You know, and it, today those things have to be taken very seriously because you don't ever know when a kid's really meaning that. And if you go back and look at the history again of all these school shooters, Every single one, one of the common factors is that they had studied other school shootings, generally most specifically specifically Columbine, and I'm not sure why that's the one that they go back to. If It's just that there's more information out there about that one. Um, but it's something that's been on their minds that they've studied and plotted and planned. So anytime a list pops up with a young adult, you have to take it very seriously and you have to figure out what, what's going on here. What's, what's causing this behavior? What could be a potential outcome for this? And then the most important factor there is what do you do then? How to prevent it or how to channel all that and get that kid back on the right track to prevent a tragedy from happening. And this is what you and I talked about last week we can talk all day long about these common factors or if people want to talk about gun control, but until we can learn how to effectively address 
mental health issues with young adults, how to help them foster a sense of, of community or a sense of belonging, how to give young boys to help them build their self-confidence where they do feel validation from positive things. Nothing is going to get better until we learn how to address that. And this is where you and I discuss, it takes a community. We can't just expect it to all fall on the parents. We can't just expect it to all fall on educators. It takes more than that. People need a sense of belonging in all areas of their lives. This is why things like boys and girls clubs, after school programs, sports programs, it's why they're great because it gets young kids involved in other things, other activities with peers, you know, their age. And again, until we can figure out how to address and help these kids, we're going to continue to see things like what happened last week with, with these school shooters, because uh, they just don't they don't have a healthy outlet. And I want to bring it home on a positive note. This is a heavy episode. This, there's some some strong stuff happening here. It's important to talk about it all. Life is not a bowl of cherries. <laughs> Sometimes you get the pits. Um, but as we talked about your curriculum that you've run in various years with your students in 11th grade English class specifically, some of the results from that have been amazing to me blew, blew my mind thrilled me from the first year to other years you've talked about it you gave us the curriculum and said do what you want with it and that's why we thought this is the year for that to happen we actually have an infrastructure with impact actual we have our online course and training uh, we can do now we're going to bring the curriculum to life on the web and make it available for free emphasis footstomp navy seal teaching for free to high school students um, so that they can experience the same thing. But some of the results you've mentioned are parents calling you, parents writing you and emailing you and saying, what did you do to my kid? My kid's conscientious. My kid thinks about other people. Um, so I'd like to I'd like to give you the floor to to bring it home and talk about, you know, some some positive things you've seen, some transitions you've seen, transformation for kids through that. So there are listeners and our you know clients can look forward to doing the same thing for their kids when we bring it online. And and what do you recommend going forward? How do we how do we you know, what's your what's your stay behind for making community possible for young people today? Well, you and I have known each other for 10 years. So, you know, when I say I love kids, <clears throat> I love young adults. I love helping them find their way, find whatever their passion is, and, and then fostering that by helping give them the tools they need to know that they can be successful. They can achieve whatever they want to. And I often have people who will make comments when I tell them, oh, I'm a high school teacher. And they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. That must be must be so hard to, to work with young adults and teenagers. Um, and while there are challenges with teenagers, absolutely. This is what I have found in over 20 years of teaching. Every person just wants to be seen and they, almost every single person really truly wants to make a difference in this world. They want to make their place and they want to help. And teenagers and they can be little turkeys sometimes. We know this, that that happens with that age. But they are also some of the sweetest individuals. 
And they just, they want a way to let that sweetness out. And they wouldn't call it sweetness because that would totally not be cool. Um, But they do, they want to help. But so many of them, they don't know how, or they don't really feel like they could actually make a difference. And so that's why it's so important for adults and educators to, to give them that sense of confidence that there really is a role they can have in life. Whatever it is they want to do, it's important. Their part is important. And so in doing powerful peace, when we start talking about, all right, you actually have a role, you have a responsibility, not just in your school, not just in your community, in your state, but in the world. And we would start talking about how certain behaviors could make a difference. And I'll just give you an example. I live in a community that is 30 minutes away from a city that is has tons of immigrants. And so most of these kids are going to end up with jobs if, if they stay within the community um, and, and some might go work you know, 30 minutes away where, um, where we do have a, a huge immigrant population. They're going to be working with people of other cultures who speak different languages, who have lived all around the world. There, there are Bosnian immigrants. There are um, immigrants from Liberia, other parts of Africa, from Asia. And the list could go on and on and on. And that's a ton of different cultures all in one place. And so I I talked to them about how their behavior helps shape their, especially with those people, it helps shape how people around the world view Americans because those people are writing back home or calling back home and talking about how, how Americans treat them or how people treat them. And so then they start to see, okay, yeah, my, my, position in life, although I might just be here in this smaller town in Kentucky, it, it does have maybe far reaching consequences. And and again, to go back to the original point here of young adults, they want to make a difference in the world. They want to, they want to have some job where they can, they can excel and be good at something, but it's our job. And and when I say our, I'm I'm talking about this. It takes a village here to give them the confidence and the tools they need in order to be able to do that. We have to provide the opportunity for them. If we don't, what is our future going to be? Because if, you know, at some point, these young adults are going to be the ones out in the world. They are going to be the ones running things. And if we don't train them up right and teach them right, what can we expect for our country in the future? What can we expect for our communities in the future? And our grandkids, but the people they raise. Yes. That's, uh, it reminds me of a Daniel, uh, a uh, Daniel Tosh gag. He was he was very con- very blunt one time talking to his audience on his comedy routine. And he said, uh, "You know, all these uh, boomers today." And I, apparently, I span the boomer X Gen. I'm not sure where I am. Like right on the seam of it with 1966. But they he said, uh, "All you people are complaining about kids these days. Oh, kids these days, no responsibility, no no spine." And he said, "You effing raised them." 
because it is our responsibility. We do need to take a responsibility. Yes, I am my brother's and my nephew's keeper because I have a responsibility to convey whatever whatever tiny bit of wisdom I have and knowledge about how to be a decent human being. They need to learn that from somebody else because it isn't baked in like how to nurse. Yes, and we just ha- we have to pave the way for them. And we can't sit back and complain about the results we get if we don't put the effort into them ourselves. If if we don't pour into them what we want to see for a future, they're in a, they're our investment, and and we just need more people who will invest in these young adults so we do get the results that we need for a better community and a better world. That's what um, you know. our impact hard concept is all about for peacemaking, the acronym of H-A-R-D, humility, accountability. Accountability is, uh, is what you're, you're talking about, holding ourselves, the generation that complains about the young generation, accountable for what the young generation knows and thinks to do. Uh, biblically, they say, you know, you, you, you uh, craft the arrows as well as you can, but once you fire the arrow, it's gone, the, the kids being the, the, the arrows. And uh, accountability is everything. Humility, accountability, respect, and dignity. Those are the big, the four pillars of the impact hard concept. So we'll, we'll keep beating that drum on accountability. But once we have holding, held ourselves accountable, we can teach accountability to those that we're, we're, we're bringing up and say, okay, you're not going to get away with misbehaving, but, um, but at least I've taught you how to, how, what behaving looks like. This is really, really strong stuff, and I'm glad we can. I'm glad you can bring that to the forefront. Uh, accountability, do our part. It's not hopeless. Wringing our hands and waving them in the air, I like to say the Air Force salute. Sorry, Air Force people, like waving our hands. I can't. It's helpless. There's nothing I can do. Uh, it's not true. There's always something we can do, and this is really important, especially when the whole country is grieving and fearing, and we need to help establish some sense of power what we can do. Yeah. I will add this too. There's a book called tattoos on the heart. It's written by, I think it's Gregory Boyle. And it's the true story of, he's not a priest, something similar to a priest. And it's the true story of him in LA in gangland, trying to go in and change things there and help these gang members rehabilitate and find jobs within their communities and become part of their community. And one of the lines toward the end of the book is that every soul just wants to know its worth. And you would be amazed at the changes you can see in a young adult when you help them learn their worth. Right on. When you show them some care, when you show them that you are interested in their lives and that you want to help them, whether it be with their schoolwork or just that you take an interest in, hey, you did a good job at the game on Friday night, or hey, you ran well or you jumped well at the track meet the other night, great soccer game, whatever. You would not believe the way a kid will come alive and glow like a light bulb when you do those things with them. It all goes to they just need to see that there are people out there who care about them. And when that can happen, that in turn causes them to show that same kind of care to others or to know what it feels like and to want to give back to others. But again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but it it takes a village. It takes lots of adults putting effort 
putting investment into these kids. That's a strong, strong point. I'm going to let it hang there for a second. <laughs> I want people to hear that and hear it echo and begin to look at how they can be accountable. Everyone who's listening, young or old, think about how you can make a difference in exactly what Jamie's talking about. Thank you so much for coming on today, my friend. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. I've enjoyed having this discussion with you and the conversation we had the other night about, again, these kids are our future. And we just have to figure out a way to get them to be positive, contributing members of society. It takes a little work on our part. We can't just expect them to raise themselves and know what to do. Not just complaining on our parts. I think the the one piece I would add to that, just finishing up here, is you have to do the work yourself to self-lead, practice self-care, do the things you need to do first for you can have influence over your children or anybody else. And I look at Erickson and Archer, you know, and and I have to be right with me first before I can be right for them. And at the end of the day, they are my responsibility and it's on me to lead them and protect them. But everything starts before that. It starts with yourself first, your self-leadership and your self-care. Yeah, that's such an important point. We can't teach respect if we don't have self-respect. We can't teach loving and caring about others if we don't love and care about ourselves. 100%. That's next level accountability right there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jamie and Eric. As always, thank you for making this conversation so much richer. Again, I've enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's going to make a difference. And to those who are listening, again, hold yourself accountable. Recognize where you don't love and respect yourself, where you're not understanding even the concepts you could force other younger people to learn the things. Take this on as a challenge from us. Impact hard. Humility, accountability, respect, and dignity. And be watching for our curriculum for Powerful Peace from Jamie, from the high schoolers, for the high schoolers. We'll be making it available through our own instructional infrastructure for free, beating that drum again, for free for high schoolers. And we have an impact peacemaking in your own community workshop coming up in July with the 10-year anniversary of Powerful Peace. So again, like I said, let's leave this out there to hang. We'll let these lessons echo for you for a while. And uh, looking forward to seeing you next week. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.